0: Father, uh, we do ask this morning, God, that you would speak to our hearts. I think of uh, when, we, when we're celebrating you and celebrating the fact that you came, God, not just to be a baby in a manger and be adored at, at one time of the year, God, but you came to give your life to save us, that we could inherit this thing we call eternal life from what you've done for us. And I pray today as we, as we watch and see as, as uh, the Apostle Paul takes such a strong stand for this thing we call the gospel, that Lord, he's not ashamed, he's not backing down, he's, he's not going to let that one thing get destroyed. And I pray that it would, I pray it would minister to our hearts and I believe there's some of us here today, we we need a little bit of encouragement in that area that, that we would stand strong for the truth. And so give us ears to hear. Lord, take us to the place that each one of us needs to go in your word. And Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh... We left off where Paul was kind of talking about tradition and trying to move that away and defending the fact that he's a legitimate, a legitimate minister, a legitimate uh, a, apostle, and, and a legitimate preacher of the gospel. Now we get into a whole different area uh, this morning, I think, and looking around and, hey, we live in a military community, and I believe most of us in here would give our lives for freedom. We would defend our freedom, we would, we would do whatever it takes, and, and that's a good thing. But what are we willing to do to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, I think that's a huge question in our culture and in our generation, how far will you go? Because there is so much compromise going on when we talk about the gospel. What does it take to be saved? What does that mean in our generation, in our culture? And what is salvation? You see a lot of people are afraid to talk about the fact that we are sinners we've offended a holy God and we need to be saved from that and that's why jesus came and here's what I love man hey it's not a new thing Paul was fighting it in his day it's not nothing's changed, and we still have to come against that and and Paul was coming against those who were coming in trying to add something to the gospel and and we have those same situations in our generation and I want to ask us again, what are you willing to do? I look at Paul and he'll sacrifice anything. He'll sacrifice friends. He'll sacrifice relationships. He'll sacrifice popularity. Even to the fact that today, here's what we're going to see today. Today, Paul's willing to go to the big guys and say, hey, what's going on? We need to get this figured out. And you gotta love that about him. He's such an encouragement. So look at verse two. It says, I'm sorry, verse one of chapter two. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. So we're getting some main players here. Paul, we know. We talked about him some. And then Barnabas, Barnabas was was an interesting guy to me. Amazing character in the New Testament. Barnabas is one of those guys that, No matter what was going on, he's there to encourage you, there to help you. And man, those are the kind of people you love to be around, right? Like you you just kind of are drawn to them. And then there's the people who are always complaining and mad and stuff, and and you avoid them, right? But Barney, man, he's the guy, Barney's the guy that you want to have around you. And he's the one that first introduced Paul to the church in Jerusalem. He took him the first time. And now Paul says, now 14 years later. Now, I don't believe this 14 years later is 14 years after the first time he went, which was three years after he got saved. I believe it's 14 years after he got saved. and But I don't think the timeline means a whole lot, but I just wanted to throw that out there. But Paul brings Barnabas and then his protege, Titus, who's very interesting. We're gonna find out as we get more into this. Titus was a Greek who was saved, so here's, here's what's going on. People are arguing about what does it take to be saved, and when the argument was mainly over circumcision. So Paul, I love this guy, man, Paul goes and he brings Exhibit A, Titus. He hits it head on, right? Hey, I'm gonna bring this guy, you guys are gonna have to look at him, you're gonna have to face him, you're gonna have to talk about it. Very, very bold move. Now I believe, here's what I believe is going on in verse one. He says, 14 years later, he came again to Jerusalem. This is his second trip to Jerusalem. I believe this is tied in with Acts chapter 11. A lot of people say Galatians chapter 2 is tied in with Acts 15. If you're familiar with Acts 15, that's when the Jerusalem council met, came together, and made that final decision on what does it take to be saved. I don't think that's what's going on here. Because I believe Galatians was written before Acts chapter 15. And I believe that for one reason. After Acts chapter 15, you don't have to have a lot of discussion. All you have to do is say, we already decided that in Acts. Well, you wouldn't say in Acts chapter 15, but we decided that at a Jerusalem council. So Paul is still arguing that stuff. So I think it's a trip if you you, uh, read for homework, if you read Acts chapter 11, is when the church in Antioch exploded in a good way. Not it blew up, but man, it exploded. And that's when Barnabas went and got Saul, right? So he was still down in Tarsus. He went and got him and said, man, you're gonna come and help. This is an insane thing going on in the church. And then a guy showed up, Agabus, who gave a revelation. And he said, hey, guys, our brothers in Jerusalem are really hurting. There's a famine Hey, they were hurting anyway, but now a famine on top of that. And we got to do something about it. And they took up a collection. And who took that collection to Jerusalem? Paul and Barnabas. So I think that's what we're looking at. And again, you can go with Acts 15 if you want, but you're wrong, but you can do that, I don't care. Uh, You know, a lot of, hey, a lot of men, much wiser than me, and much better at scholarship than me, believe it's Acts chapter 15. I just don't think it fits. And as we go through, I'll tell you more and more why. So I believe it's Acts chapter 11. He says, hey, I went down there, and one of the reasons, look at verse two. And I went up by revelation, In Acts chapter 15, it wasn't by revelation. In Acts chapter 15, the Judaizers had come to Antioch and started causing trouble, and Paul grabbed them and said, let's go, we're going to Jerusalem, we're gonna settle this once for all. But in Acts chapter 11, it was a revelation from Agabus. You need to go, so Paul says, hey, I came by revelation, And and then this is one more thing, And he says, when I came by revelation and I communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles but privately to those who were of reputation lest by any means means I might run or had run the race in vain. I think this is a clincher. He said, I did it privately. Acts chapter 15 was public. It was a gathering of the church And the elders gathering together. Yeah, you got to respect Paul. Here's what Paul said. I went and I got the guys together and I got the big guys. I got the heavy hitters. That takes courage, doesn't it? He's Paul. He says, and I got him and we got together privately and we're going to hash this thing out. And he says, in, 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 he says, hey, I want to make sure I hadn't run in vain. Now, here's, what, here's the way I interpret that. It's not that Paul's afraid that his message is wrong. Paul's afraid that Judaizers are getting such strength that they're going to come in and they're going to mess up his church. Have you ever noticed how cults can mess things up and mess people up? And hey, every cult that I know, their main issue is with Jesus. They, they, you can get on all these rabbit trails, but you gotta boil it down to Jesus, and what do you do with Jesus? And these guys, listen, these guys were adding to Jesus, so he says, hey, I wanted to make sure everything's okay. Imagine that conversation. Wouldn't you love to have been able to listen to that conversation? As Paul's talking to, we're gonna read later on, as he's talking to Peter and, 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 and uh, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, and John. Those are some pretty heavy guys. What would you say to them? And you got to love the fact that, hey, just like we're going to read, God's no respecter of persons, neither was Paul. And I also believe Paul was making sure that he was okay. And we needed checks and balances on each other. And Paul is doing that. So he's going and he's having this meeting. He's talking to these guys. And then he tells us one thing. So the issue for them was circumcision. Look at verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So here's what he's saying. We had our discussion. And I kind of think it went like this. Here's Titus. Let me introduce you to Titus. Now, Titus, give him your testimony. And Titus said, yeah, you know, these guys came into my town. They preach the gospel. I accepted Jesus. I got saved. Maybe he got baptized. I don't know. And now I'm here, but I don't want to add baptism yet. So, hey, I just accepted. I believed that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and, and now I'm saved. And they went, really? And then I think Paul added, and bro, did you get circumcised? And he went, nope. Didn't do it. And the apostles, James, John, Peter, here's what they said Good deal. All right. And through that, here's what's going on Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. Titus left that meeting confident in his salvation that he didn't have to do anything else to be saved. And saints, we gotta stand on that. And there's so much going on, hey, in our culture, our generation, there is so much going on that we need to protect the church and the truth from all of that stuff. And and I'm not saying we need to be jerks for Jesus. I'm saying we need to be men and women who are gonna stand firm and we're not gonna back down and we're not gonna give up and we're not gonna get together for the sake of unity and singing kumbaya because we don't wanna offend people. Truth will always divide, saints. Don't forget that. It will always divide. Because even being almost true isn't true. And so Paul had this, this thing. So I, I can imagine then, I can imagine, I kind of think there was like, I think Titus is going, Phew good deal not not that he was worried about being circumcised but just that you know he made it through that time and so they did that and 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 I love listen he keeps kind of saying in the beginning he said I went up to these guys who who were had the reputation of being something so he's kind of listen he's kind of putting down the Judaizers the Judaizers that put the apostles way up on this pedestal and Paul's being a little bit sarcastic about it not to the apostles Not telling them, hey, you guys are, you guys are, you know, boasting and bragging about yourself. But he's letting the Judaizers know, quit putting them up there so high. They're just the same as us. And in verse 4, he says, and this occurred because of false brethren who secretly, who secretly, I'm sorry, because of false brethren secretly in, and then he says, go down to, go down to verse 5. Uh, he says uh, that these uh, brethren secretly brought in to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now, I skipped a part because I think it's parenthetical, and we'll get back to it. But here's what he said. And hey, if you're a Bible marker, if you're an underliner, highlighter, highlight the word false. Paul called them false brethren they weren't brothers they secretly came in and you know what even hey if the person sitting next to you isn't circling that reach over and circle it for him but paul is making sure that we know something people who deviate from the truth of the gospel are false they're not true that's intense, and, and so he says these false brethren secretly, hey, have you ever noticed people who wanna draw you away from Jesus? They usually don't wear name tags. I'm a false teacher. Although there was one time when, when, I, was a, when I was a new Christian, when I was, you know, whenever I give an invitation and people accept the Lord and I talk about our foundation class and, and I say, I wish it was one of those when I got saved. Well, there wasn't. And I, I read all kinds of, I read garbage and I read good stuff. And I had to decipher all this stuff. And one book that somebody gave me, I'll never forget this book. In this book, it's a preface. In the preface, here's what it said. And I'm not exaggerating. Here's what, and this was by a woman author that was way out there. But here's what she said in her book. Do not show this book to your pastor, and do not tell him you're reading it. That's kind of wearing a badge like, I'm a false teacher, right? I mean, that was, that was bizarre, and, but I did read the book. But anyway, and I didn't show it to my pastor until after I read it. But, hey, usually they're not that bold. They come in, and here's what they tell you. Yeah, 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 you're saved, but... And there's usually some kind of like, I always call it decoder ring you need, right? There's something more that you need to get to heaven. You know, the blood of Jesus isn't quite enough. And even some things as simple as this, this may offend some people, it might even be as simple as this. You need Jesus and you need to speak in tongues. You need Jesus and you need to be baptized. You need Jesus and believe the way I believe. All of that is false. Here's what you need to be saved, Jesus. And Paul, listen, man, Paul is taking that stand here and he says, hey, they come in secretly and here's what I love, man. He goes, I didn't yield to them for one minute. I didn't give them any time. And you know, saints, we need to, we need to take a, a cue from Paul and we need to not give people time. And hey, you need to not, and, and I know if you're like me, sometimes I like to argue. So I get some of these people, and I'm thinking, "Let's go." Do you know I have never led anybody to the Lord doing that? Never. I I, I got to tell you, one one time I think one time I got close, but we need to be careful of that. Here's what Paul says: Man, I didn't yield to them for not even one hour. We might say one minute. Oh, and then getting back to the parenthetical part about the, the false brethren, he says, hey, these false brethren secretly brought in, and then he describes uh, how they got there. They came in, in the middle of verse four, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Listen what people are doing. They're taking away the freedom that you have in Christ. My Bible says, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed, And they want to rip that off, and they want to get you in some kind of bondage, so you're obligated to something or someone or some group. And he says, hey, they came in, they came in stealth again, they're usually not real open about it, and they kind of like try and draw you away, and then he says, hey, and then they want to spy out the liberty that we have. So Paul says, I didn't even yield to them, not even for one minute, and then he tells us in verse six, but... From those who seem to be something. Now, here's what I like. There's that sarcasm again, right? Oh, but from the guys who seem to be something. Again, not towards them, but towards the false teachers as they, they say that. He says, maybe a little bit towards them, I don't know. But he says, oh, but for those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows, pers- or God shows uh, personal favoritism to no man for those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Here's the thing you and I need to know. God is not a respecter of persons. And you need to understand that. You know, sometimes even, I think, I think sometimes we get messed up and we'll put a pastor up on a high pedestal. You know what the difference between me and you? Nothing, we're the same. You have the same access to God that I have. Some of you probably have better access to God than I have. You probably sin a lot less than I do. One of the major differences maybe, and I don't know about you, is I have the gift of teaching. And God uses that. And, and, and hey, that doesn't make me better than you. And here's what Paul is saying, man. You don't put people up on pedestals. Those guys who seem to be something, they didn't add anything to me. And God's not a respecter of persons. And God's not respecting the fact that, hey, they were there and I wasn't. Remember, he's kind of fighting that whole thing. So he says, hey... You need to know that, but, verse 7, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles now there's a whole bunch there and I think there's a little bit of confusion when he when he starts out and he says in verse 7 he says when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me and the gospel for the circumcised to Peter he's not saying there's two different gospels I want to make that clearer it's not like you have a gospel for the Jews and then you have a gospel for the Gentiles. Here's what he's saying. One gospel committed to two, to two different men to minister to two different kinds and groups of people. And each man is going to do it differently. Hey, I'm a, I, you know what? You guys are not going to share the gospel the way I share the gospel. Why? Because we're different. Thank God we're different, huh? And you're, you're gonna, God's going to use your personality he's going to use how you, how he made you up he's going to use things in your life and Paul's recognizing that here's what he's saying My main ministry is to the Gentiles, and I'm going to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Peter's main ministry is to the to the Jews and he's going to share with the jews and and you know something that bothers me even today is is and again I, if I offend you I'm sorry sort of But, you know, I get real uptight when I hear people say, I'm a messianic Jew for this reason. They generally talk to me like they're a little bit better because they're a Jew who got saved. They're no better, they're no more saved than I am. Doesn't make them better than me. We're all saved the same. And we got to be careful when we start respecting people and start thinking things. But as we share the gospel, hear what Paul's saying. There's nothing wrong with contextualizing the gospel. You see, you're gonna, you're gonna share with some people some way. You're gonna share with other people another way. And you contextualize it, but it's the same message. And here's where I think we get messed up as churches As churches, we will get mad at the way somebody contextualizes the gospel. And we'll get all up in arms. I can't believe they're doing that, man. Why are they wearing suits and coats? And, you know, this is for Calvary Chapel people. Why are they wearing suits and jackets and all dressed up? They think they have to dress up to go to church. That's so stupid. Why are you picking on them? If they want to dress up to go to church, they can dress up to go to church. They're contextualizing the gospel for the people they're working in. And then it can be the flip side. People look at Calvary Chapel and go, you guys get your clothes out of a, like, homeless band or something? <laughs> and here's what happens. We start looking at those things. That's not what matters, saints. What matters is what the person is preaching and what they're saying. And, and we get too hung up on how somebody might contextualize it. Somebody this morning told me they're reading a book about, about when when rock music first came into church. Now, it's a little bit before the time I got saved, but I read some of the history and stuff, and people got freaked out, man. When they first brought an electric guitar into a church, oh, my word. A set of drums, oh, no. And once again, that's, that's the contextualizing. It's not messing things up. I always think about the first time that, that I can't remember which group it was uh, that, that, that Pastor Chuck was talking to and, and, and they're playing music and he liked it. He goes, hey, why don't you guys come and play on, on Wednesday? And they said, you know what? That's gonna work out really well because our drummer gets out of jail Wednesday morning. <laughs> Some of us would freak out over that, right? And here's what Paul's saying, man. Peter's going to the Jews and I'm gonna go to the Gentile. But we're sharing the same gospel. And did you notice in in verse nine how he says, or, or verse eight, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. What's he telling us? It's not Peter who saves people, it's the Holy Spirit. He who worked in Peter is the same Holy Spirit who's working in me. It's not Paul doing this, it's God working through Paul. I love that part. And then he says this, and verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. Now, before we go on, I want to say something because I think this is interesting. Here's just a little fact. He mentions Peter. He calls him Cephas. James and John. So you have Peter, James, and John, and Paul in a room. Out of the 27 books in the New Testament, 21 are represented by those four guys. Wow, that's interesting to me. I mean, maybe maybe that's just something that just caught me because because I think what a collection of wisdom and a collection of uh, of men who want to follow the Lord with everything they have, and you gotta love it. He says, hey, now when those three and hey, these are big hitters, right? James, the brother of Jesus, we've talked about that when we introduced the book of James. Peter, we know Peter's huge. And then, and then you have John and, and just think of even the different personalities when, when you just say that I think, I think James the Lord's brother I think he might have been like one of those thinker guys and, and that type and I don't know why I don't have a lot of background on him but Peter we know Peter right Peter's just brash and bold and he you know, just says what he's on, what's on his mind Paul Paul's an educated guy man he's the scholar of the bunch and you have him and then, and then John to me John Kind of seems to be the gentle guy although he's not afraid to say what needs to be said but look at the personalities and the interaction and they're hanging out in this room Man, would have it been great to like peek in that room and get a little scene what are they saying what all's going on? Because you gotta remember, verse one and verse uh, down to verse nine are all happening, and we're just getting a report from that. You know, Titus is there, Barnabas is there, and you got all of this interaction, it had to be, it had to be mind-blowing. And then, so then he said, these, you know, these three guys, and then here's the sarcasm, who seem to be pillars. Don't you love it? He didn't say, who are the pillars? What'd he say? These guys seem to be the pillars. Again, I don't think it was towards them. I think it was more towards the false teachers. Maybe a little bit, a little gig. You got you to gig one another, right? You got to dig a little bit. That's love language for some people. So listen, he says, who seemed to be pillars. Here's what he said. They perceived the grace that had been given to me and they gave me and Barnabas a right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. When was the last time, because I think this is important. When was the last time you saw grace in somebody? They perceived. Hey, the original language is when they saw the grace that had been given me. When was the last time we observed that? And here's what, here's, you know, as, as I studied this this week, here's what, here's what was on my heart. Man, I hope... I hope where I go and the people I talk to and when I leave a place, I hope those people go, wow, there was some grace there. I'm not talking about being gracious. I'm talking about, he's talking about the grace of God working in his life. That those guys perceive this is going on in this man's life and he gave them the right hand, they gave him the right hand of fellowship. That's important in Middle Eastern culture. That's huge. In other words, they're bonding with him. And here's what they're saying. You go, bro. Again, this is why I think, this is why I think this is Acts chapter 11. It says they gave him the right hand of the fellowship and that he should go to the Gentiles. For homework, read Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14. And you might read 15 to see if it fits or not. But you can go there. And here's here's what's interesting. 12 through 14, what is that? That's Paul's first missionary journey. What does it say right here? that they gave him the right hand of the fellowship and told him, go to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch. They begin to pray, and the church of Antioch does what? Sends them out on their missionary journey. I believe, listen, I believe this was the initiation of that and the beginning of that in their hearts. They planted a seed and said, hey, you guys go. Now, we know that doesn't mean that they could only, you know, it's not like Paul walked into town. You Jew, can't talk to you, sorry, call Peter. And it's not like Peter went into a synagogue and said, oh, you're a Gentile? Sorry, we got to call Paul. But it meant their focus, their main ministry went a certain direction. And that's where they went. And hey, I believe that happens today. You have, a, you have a vision, you have a ministry, you go in a direction. So I love this, man. Ministry started, and then the last reason I believe this is not Acts chapter 15 is this, verse 10, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. If you read Acts chapter 15, you know there was more written than that. And I'm not gonna tell you what it was, so you'll read it. But Acts chapter 15 is very dogmatic about what they were to do. And so we need to know that. Here's what they said. You go and you'd share the gospel you've been sharing, but Paul, remember the poor. Why was Paul in Jerusalem? I believe he was there for the poor. He says, hey, this is the very thing I was eager to do. It's like, it's like they go, hey, Paul, remember the poor, and he went, well, duh. I just dumped a boatload of money on you guys. But when we think about remembering the poor, see, I think we can get mixed up in churches. Some churches are weak on the gospel and don't share the gospel, and they're huge on social things. And then there's other churches that just want to share and have all their doctrine right and, and you know, cross all their, their T's, dot all their I's, but they don't care about the poor. And it's somewhere in between. Listen, we should be concerned about the poor, but I have to ask you this. What is the greatest need in our world? Jesus Christ. The greatest need for people is salvation the poorest people in the world are the people who do not have salvation i don't care what their material standing is they're the poorest people and i believe listen as you focus on that and you think about that you're going to change lives and you're going to change people remember when peter and john were, were going into the into the temple about acts chapter five i think maybe six so now you got to read 1 through 15 now, just kind of figure it out. But remember when they're going into the temple and there's the lame guy? I should say cripple, I say lame, and people go, yeah, he was really lame, but he was, he was the crippled guy. And remember they're going in and he's asked them for silver and gold, remember what they said? Hey, we don't have any silver and gold, but what we have we'll give to you. Saints, we have an opportunity to elevate people out of poverty by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me kind of wrap it up with this. When we did missionary work in Mexico, and we were working with a tribal group, the Taruhumaras, who lived very remotely, and they had no running water, no electricity. You know, they, these guys did have little, little huts they would put together. And the main thing that they did, they were, they were uh, uh, farmers. They grew corn. And corn was the thing that got them through life. They would trade corn with each other. They would use it to get things, to buy things. So corn was their crop. And I don't want you to think they had big cornfields. They were pretty small. But that's, and then they lived on the corn. And that was their main thing. Now, here's what's kind of crazy. When they would harvest their corn, they would want to have huge parties. And they would use one-third of their corn crop to make beer with, and they would have these big parties. Now think about that. One third of your annual wages to have a party. That's kind of crazy, although I think in our nation, there are people who spend way more than that on, on their addictions, and, 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 and I get that, but I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to make this a little bit practical. One-third of their annual income went for this party and, and uh, a celebration with, with this corn beer. When they would come to the Lord, generally they would quit the party and quit the beer. Now think about this. When they came to the Lord, when they quit that, what happened to them economically? Instantly they became one third richer because they're not spending it on that. And people would look at them and they'd go, well you have more, how did you get more? Well I got more because I started following Jesus and started changing my life. And so we can help the poor in so many ways more than just material, now I think we should give materially, I think think we need to be somewhat uh, 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 conscious about it and you know make sure You're doing it correctly. But hey, we should give materially to the poor, but the greatest need of the poor is this, Jesus Christ. So saints, here's what Paul is saying here. Are you giving people the gospel that's biblical or have you watered it down? Or have you added to it? Have you tried to fix it up to make it, you know, make it a little bit more palatable? Or are we straight shooters? Man, I wanna I want be a church that's known as people who, we take a stand for the gospel. We might not take a stand for a lot of things. I don't think we should be political. I don't think we should, you know, take stands on, on, on certain parts. But I do want us to be a church that's known the fact that we are going to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to budge. We're not going to back down. Let's stand up and pray.